0: Anyway, we're going to talk about dinosaurs in the Bible. And one of the most fascinating things about this is many Christians not only don't know what they think about dinosaurs, they're not sure what they're supposed to think. As a Christian, they're like, are we supposed to believe in dinosaurs? I mean, the Bible doesn't really talk about it, so maybe I should, you know, reject the concept of dinosaurs. But man, it seems like there's a lot of evidence, but it doesn't seem to fit in the Bible. You just, so you just move on with your life and you, you know, bury your head in the sand or whatever because it's just confusing. So I'm going to try to clarify a lot of the confusion here and get you to think biblically about all these things, even though many people think the Bible doesn't talk about dinosaurs. (laughs) So I'm going to go as fast as possible so that we can finish in time before the the service here. So I may even have to skip a few slides. We'll see how it goes. But if there were two sources regarding a certain topic, any topic, If there were two sources from which you could learn about that if you only heard part of one source and none of the other could you come to the wrong conclusion about that topic yeah very easily i'd be surprised if you didn't come to the wrong conclusion well that's the situation we have today with dinosaurs you're only hearing part of the science and you're typically not hearing anything about scripture, when you think about like our public school system, the teachers don't say, okay, today, kids, we're gonna learn about dinosaurs, so get your Bibles out. (laughs) That's never gonna happen in our public school system. And I, I get that, but this is what's happening. You're not really being given the full picture. But a lot of people say, yeah, but the Bible doesn't even talk about dinosaurs. And if the Bible didn't talk about them, then you're kind of free to conclude whatever you want. But if it says something, that needs to be our starting point. For example, if you want to know who the first man was, the Bible's very clear. It was Adam. You get it from Genesis 2 and 1 Corinthians 15, 45. You don't have an option for that. The Bible clearly says the first man was Adam. If you want to know how tall the first man was, the Bible honestly does not address Adam's height. So you're free to conclude whatever you want. If you want to think he was 6'3", I'm good with that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, we don't know. Now, I don't think you should say he was 25 feet tall, that wouldn't even work with the physics and the physiology and all that, but the Bible isn't specific, so you got some wiggle room there. I have a three-part video series, which is free now, streaming. All of our videos are <laughs> streamable and free, um, and in that video series, these are the questions that I cover. Part one, we cover why isn't the word dinosaur in the Bible, uh, when were dinosaurs created, and were they vicious meat-eaters? Part two. How old are dinosaur fossils? Did dinosaurs turn into oil? Did dinosaurs and man ever live together? Part three, we continue that question because there's so much to that. And then we also answer dinosaurs and human fossils, together. do we find them together? Is it possible to clone a dinosaur? Are dinosaurs actually extinct? Were there dinosaurs on the ark? How big were the dinosaurs? And how many types of dinosaurs were there? So those are all the questions that we address in a fair amount of detail. I'm going to cover a number of these really fast this morning in one talk. And we're going to do an interesting exercise next and it's not going to be that kind of exercise. No one should get hurt. It's a mental exercise. Just do this in your mind. So envision, I just gave each one of you a blank sheet of paper and I want you to write on that piece of paper everything you know about dinosaurs. Just bullet points. Might be one thing, might be a whole page full, whatever is, think through your mind what you would put on your paper that you know about dinosaurs. Then when you're done, I would ask you to take a look at that piece of paper and everything you wrote and ask yourself, which of those things do you actually know versus, well, that's what I've been taught. Probably every single thing on your paper would be something you don't really know, it's just that's what you've heard. Well, I know that they became extinct 65 million years ago. Do you know that? Well, I mean, that's what they say. They were vicious meteors. Do you know that? Well, I mean, I've seen some teeth, and they're pretty big teeth. So I'm guessing they were. You know, they roamed the earth for hundreds of, you know, 150 million years. Do you know that? Well, I mean, I saw a documentary, you know, last week, and that's what they're saying. All the scientists believe that, so it must be true. Okay. Yeah, I know you heard that. I've grown up learning that too. But you don't actually know that. It's just what you've heard over and over and over. You've heard enough, it kind of becomes fact in your mind, even though, honestly, you don't really know that for sure. Now, there's many many children's books out there on dinosaurs it's kind of a gateway to get people and kids into reading and all that when i was young i hated reading i couldn't stand it my mom actually had to read to me but how many of you read danny and the dinosaurs It's been around a long time <laughs> um, i read danny and the dinosaurs i figured i could at least look at the pictures because it was about dinosaurs there's no shortage of children's books on dinosaurs and most of them are coming at it from an angle that wouldn't necessarily be consistent with scripture but that's what they learn and they they don't have any reason to doubt that so it becomes truth and then they kind of start doubting the Bible later because the two don't seem to fit together very well even Dr. Seuss teaches us about dinosaurs this is what this book said said I'm the cat in the hat you've met before today I will speak of the great dinosaur dinosaurs lived on the earth long ago before you and me so how do we know from fossils Dinosaur teeth, eggs, and bone got stuck in the muck. That muck turned to stone. These fossils are old. They are dusty and worn because they were made long before you were born. Then it goes on to say, not hundreds of years, not thousands of years, but millions of years long before you were born. So what is Dr. Seuss teaching us about dinosaurs? That they lived so long ago they were on the planet before people were even here. That's what we learn from Dr. Seuss and almost all the other children's books. So our kids grow up. That's... It's truth. I mean, it's in the book. It's what their teacher said, and we're not telling them that it's wrong or why it might be wrong or anything, so it just becomes truth to them. Now, my wife loves shopping at Goodwill. I'm not a, a shopper or a Goodwill shopper, but sometimes I go with, and one day I was just in the, show, the store, bored out of my skull. I was killing time. I was just looking through the men's T-shirts, and I pulled one out, and I said, hey, Amy, look at this shirt. It looks just like mine. She goes, no, that is your shirt, and you're not buying it back. <laughs> It really was mine. She stole it out of the closet, and I didn't get it back. But another time, we were in the store, and I was trying to find something to do to kill time, and I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go over to the children's book section, and the first book that I see on dinosaurs, I will pull it off the shelf, and I bet that the first page I turn to will talk about millions of years ago. And if I am right, I owe me a hot fudge sundae. (laughs) And if I'm wrong, I owe me a hot fudge sundae. So either way, it was gonna work out well. So I went over, this was the actual book I found. I saw the spine, I pulled it off, and I actually bought it so I could take a picture of it and put it in my PowerPoint. And I open up to the first page, and this is what it said. Dinosaurs lived long, long ago, even before people lived on the earth. They lived and ruled and roamed the land for millions of years. So yeah, I got the hot fudge sundae. And even the back of the book, it continues as millions of years ago, dinosaurs walked the earth. So it's just, it's a given. Dinosaurs, millions of years. We all know that, right? Because you hear it everywhere you go. So we go to school typically. When I say school, I'm generically referring to the public school system, which most Christians have grown up in. I did. So you go to school and you learn about history. And you go to church and you learn about Jesus. And you go back to school and you learn about science. And you go back to church and you learn about Jesus. You go to school and you learn about dinosaurs. And you go back to church and you learn about Jesus. <laughs> and you just don't know where to stick a dinosaur in the Bible. It's just the two, just like, how, how are you going to do that? You can't put it in the New Testament, but even in the Old Testament, it's just like, you know what I say? You don't stick a dinosaur in the Bible. Why would I say that? Because it sounds like a problem. I don't know where to put this guy. Just I can't really bury him here, I don't know. You don't have to stick a dinosaur in the Bible. You study God's word and you learn real history and that helps you understand where do dinosaurs fit in. It's not a problem at all when you really research this. So, why don't we find the word dinosaur in the Bible? <laughs> Here's the short version of this. I grew up with the King James Version. I still use it. I've memorized a lot of verses in it, so I don't want to read other... I do read other versions, but if I come to a verse I've memorized, I skip it because I just don't want to mess with the memorization thing. But I realize it's like Shakespeare, you know, reading it, because it was translated in 1611. What's interesting about that is that is 230 years before we invented the word dinosaur. I absolutely do not expect to find the word dinosaur in here because that word didn't even exist when they were translating the King James Version but you do see the word dragon quite often in the Bible and I think most of these occurrences it's talking about something that we would call a dinosaur but they didn't have that word so they used the word dragon to refer to these creatures that they were talking about and we'll see that a little more in a second so what's the standard view on dinosaurs well time magazine had a cover article the truth about dinosaurs okay very bold and it's going to help their sales because what is it implying they're going to teach you the truth well you want to know the truth right you got to get their magazine to read it there was a subtitle on this cover which i couldn't believe they put on there i was thinking they did not think this through Here was a subtitle it says surprise just about everything you believe is wrong kind of condescending like you don't know the truth we're going to tell you the truth wait a minute Where did most people learn about dinosaurs? From them, from the secular magazines, Smithsonian, National Geographic, Science Magazine, all that, but now they're telling us all that's wrong. So they're admitting they were wrong before, or if they're admitting they were wrong before, why should we trust them now? How do we know they're magically right now when they're admitting that was all wrong before, but now trust us? That doesn't make any sense at all. So here's the, the basic standard timeline. Dinosaurs become extinct 65 million years ago. Man started to evolve from an ape-like creature six million years ago, and in our modern form, we showed up about 200,000 years ago. That's the secular timeline that we all learn. And a lot of Christians say, well, you know, it's, it's science, so somehow the Bible fits in around that somewhere, you know, whatever. We, we do our best to try to make the two fit together. I don't think they go well together. The main point is there are millions and millions of years of existence between the death of dinosaurs and the appearance of man. So man never lived together with dinosaurs. That's the secular narrative that we all learn. (coughs) Okay, so when were dinosaurs created? Well, to answer these questions, we should really go to our starting point. Again, if the Bible doesn't address it at all, you're free to conclude what you want. But if the Bible says something... That needs to be your starting point. And everything else you learn after that has to comport with what the Bible is actually saying about that. So, what does the Bible say? Well, it says, For in six days, Lord, may the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested on the seventh. God says He created everything in six days. It doesn't say, I, God, created everything in six days. Well, I mean, except for the dinosaurs. I mean, it couldn't have done that. I mean, really. No, He says He created everything. Dinosaurs are part of everything. And it refines it even further. God says, and and God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures after his kind. Cattle and creeping things, beasts of the earth after his kind. And it was so. God says he created the land creatures on day six. Dinosaurs were land creatures. So according to scripture, they would have been created on day six. If you have a problem with that, you don't have a problem with my philosophy. You have a problem with what's written in your Bible. I'm pointing you not to my research but to your Bible that you have always go back there don't trust me trust the written Word of God but you can't have dinosaurs on day six but they were land creatures and the Bible says God created land creatures on day six so that would imply dinosaurs were created on day six but weren't they vicious meat eaters and they would have eaten Adam and Eve because Adam and Eve were created on day six So you just can't have this. You can't have it, not because of what Scripture says, but because of what you think you know from secular scientists who don't really even respect God or even believe in him. You're going to go with what they say and then tell God what he really meant in his word. And people say, well, the Bible doesn't even tell us what dinosaurs ate. It doesn't even talk about dinosaurs. Don't tell me that it tells us what they ate. It actually does. It's very straightforward. Genesis 1, 29-30. God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree or the seed of the fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to the, every bird of the heaven, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has a breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. All of God's creatures originally were vegetarian. It may shock you. It's not not, not my philosophy. It's God's word. That's what he told us. If it wasn't that way, he could have told us something different. But this is what he told us. But you can't believe God's word. Because look at the T-Rex. Look at those teeth. I have a replica sitting out on my table there. One of these teeth, about six inches long. You're telling me that that guy was a vegetarian? That's crazy. I can't believe anything you're saying. That's just nuts. Well, that's what God's word says. And let's ask ourselves a question. Just because something has large or sharp teeth, does it make it a meat eater? Here's a skull of a creature around today. Very sharp teeth on this guy. Obviously, that's a skull of a meat eater. It's a skull of a fruit bat. You have any idea what fruit bats eat? <laughs> eat pizza. No, they eat fruit. That's why we call them fruit bats. Just because they have sharp teeth doesn't make them a meat eater. Here's another skull. This guy's got to be a vicious meat eater. It's a skull of a grizzly bear. Well, grizzly bears can eat meat, but they're largely vegetarian. Here's another skull, huge teeth on this guy, obviously a vicious meat-eater. That's the skull of a hippo. Hippos are basically vegetarian. And one last one, the teeth on this guy are really, really sharp. I've got to be a vicious meat-eater. The skull of a giant panda. Pandas use those very sharp teeth for stripping bamboo or when they're pretending to play the flute. (laughs) Again, I saw that picture, I had to put that in there. It's just my bad sense of humor. Just because something has larger, sharp teeth doesn't make it a meat-eater. Now this actually belongs to me. Uh, not the car, the picture. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> actually the picture's not even mine, I got it off the internet. I thought we were talking about dinosaurs and meat-eating, what, what are we looking at cars for? Here's the point, in the summer, I guess even Oregon, it can get hot out. So what do you do when you're driving out? I used to say you roll the windows down. <laughs> you guys are laughing. Um, you can roll the windows down, you can turn the air conditioning on, you can be fine. Well in the winter, especially in Wisconsin, it can get pretty cold out sometimes. <laughs> So what do you do when it's cold out? Well, you turn the heater on. A car is designed to handle the heat of the summer and the cold of the winter. It's the same thing with God's creatures. He created them all to be vegetarian, but he created some of them to be able to eat meat. Because before God even created them, he knew Adam and Eve were going to sin. That was going to bring a curse and death into his creation, and the flood was really going to mess things up. So he designed creatures to be able to eat meat. And this is just after the flood. This is almost 1,700 years after creation. Things had gotten so bad. God says, that's it. I'm judging this planet. Worldwide flood, Genesis 6 through 8. They're coming off the ark now. And this is what God says. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon you know, all the beasts of the earth and every bird of the heavens, every, uh, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all fish of the sea. Into your hands they are delivered. Okay, in this portion, they're coming off the ark, and God says, now all the creatures are going to be afraid of you. If we're thinking, and we should, what does this tell us? Before the flood, the creatures weren't afraid of Adam and Eve and all all the other people that lived. But now things are different because of the curse of the flood. And he goes on to say this, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So God's saying... Now you can eat meat. Whatever you want, go for it. So were dinosaurs vicious meat eaters? I think some of them were. Not originally, but God allowed that because of the curse and all that, and he designed them to be able to do that. Same thing with humans and all that. We can eat meat, and God says, it's okay now. That's what Scripture says. A lot of people like, oh, I didn't see that before. I guess I read it, but I didn't really think about that. So how old are these fossils? And specifically, how do they determine how old they are i got to go through this really quick when they dig up a dinosaur bone they don't find a tag on it saying 65 million years old they have to assign an age and it's not really scientific let me give you an example so a scientist digs up some dinosaur bones and they're real and then they bring it into a laboratory to get a date on it well the scientist in the laboratory has a question where did you find this thing meaning in the geologic column what layer did you find it Why do they care? They want to know what layer it's in so they can figure out how old it's supposed to be. The layers of the earth were assigned ages before we even had radiometric dating. So if you find a bone in a certain layer, it's gotta be that age or the age of the layer. So they want to know what, no, just date the bone. Well, they say, you know, this is a T-Rex bone. Oh, T-Rex, well, they died out, you know, just at the end of the Cretaceous, about 65 million years ago. So the bone's gonna be about 65 million years old. You don't know that? Date the bone. So they say, I can't date the bone. It's too old. We can't use carbon-14 or anything on it because carbon-14 doesn't last that long, so we can't date the bone. Wait a minute. You don't know the age yet, so don't tell me it's too old to date. But they do that because they just assume evolution is true and all that's true. But they have a target now. It's got to be about 65 million years old. So they don't date the bone. You just put it off to the side. So do they date the rock layer they found it in Nope, those are sedimentary layers, fragments of other rocks. You can't use radiometric dating on sedimentary layers. So they don't date the bone, they don't date the layer the rock was in. They bring bring in a nearby igneous rock that was by the layer where the bones were found, which you can do radiometric dating on, and then they date the rock. And they have multiple methods. You know, rubidium, strontium, potassium, argon, all these things, they use different methods. So one method, uranium lead, says it was 1.1 billion years old. Well. That's obviously wrong. You could throw that one out, so they throw it out. Next to rubidium strontium, says 103,000 years old. That's, that's way too young. There must have been some contamination. So we can throw that date out. Then they have fission track dating, 25 million years old. Well, we're getting closer, but that's obviously wrong, throw that one out. Then potassium argon method, 68 million years old. Ah, see, we were thinking 65 and it turned out to be 68 million years old and it's just brilliant so summarizing this whole thing did they discover a dinosaur bone yes they did was it a t-rex bone yeah we can tell it's a t-rex bone should it be 65 million years old according to their expectations according yeah, to their scenario it should be 65 million years old according to their story did they date it by potassium argon get 68 million years yeah they did so it's published now in the paper and the public is in awe You're like, man, these scientists, I don't know how they can get that smart. I'm glad they're doing it. I couldn't do it. And we're just, we're wowed. And we're intimidated by how smart they are. They totally cheated the whole way. And there's a lot more. I have a whole series of talks on things like that. I'm going to give you four quick reasons why there's no way these bones can be millions of years old. First of all, most bones we find, dinosaur bones, are still fresh. Bones do not have to be turned into stone to be fossils, and usually most of the original bone is still present in a dinosaur fossil. Modern bones that fall into mineral springs can become permineralized or fossilized within a matter of weeks. It doesn't take millions of years. If you can fossilize them quickly, how come the bones we're seeing are still fresh? If they've been around 65 million years, they should have fossilized a long time ago. And then carbon 14 I give lectures on carbon-14 dating. Carbon-14 decays away so quickly, it's not gonna last millions of years. It only lasts a few tens of thousands of years. So you can't get millions of years out of this dating method. And if the bones are 65 million years old, the carbon-14 should be long gone, millions of years ago. It's still in all the bones. And now we actually have soft tissue in red blood cells in dinosaur bones. And I know you're all sick and tired of hearing about soft tissue in dinosaur bones, right? no <laughs> oh well they just discovered it yesterday and so you haven't heard about it yet no try 1995 the scientist who accidentally discovered it she did her test 17 times she wouldn't believe it each time it can't be it can't be these bones are 65 million years old it can't be soft tissue and red blood cells 17 times she finally said this is soft tissue and red blood cells and dinosaur bones But they're not going public with it much yet because they don't have an explanation of how these materials can last long. I can say a lot more about that. I'm going to show you a very short video, something that very few people on the planet have seen. You're going to see soft tissue in dinosaur bones in the laboratory being stretched. That's dinosaur soft tissue. Very elastic, looks very fresh. Is that 65 million years old? Absolutely impossible. And since they found it accidentally in 1995, we have been finding it over and over and over. Now we even have DNA in dinosaur bones, which is more fragile than red blood cells and soft tissue. These are all evidences that these things are thousands of years old, not millions. They were buried about four and a half thousand years ago in a flood. I did a dinosaur excavation a few summers ago in western Colorado. I was close to Dinosaur, Colorado. I didn't even know that city existed, but I thought, i got to drive through there before I go to the excavation. And I saw a sign for a church that said, This Dinosaur Bible Fellowship. I thought, how cool is that? There's got to be a lot of kids at that church. I was also very close to Dinosaur National Monument just across the border in Utah. It's the site of a cliff exposed. There are 1,500 dinosaur bones in this cliff. They were all over the place. You can walk up to them. You can actually touch them. What most people don't know is there's actually more clam fossils there than there are dinosaur bones. How do you get sea creatures fossilized with dinosaurs? Unless you have ocean waters flooding the continent, which is global flood, a whole series on that. So there I am, digging up a bone, femur of a Camarasaurus. Camarasaurus looks like this, 66 feet long, 44,000 pounds. If I was standing next to it wearing yellow, which I wouldn't. Uh, that's just me for scale there. So there's the femur, which would fit in right there. And again, we were digging up these bones because we need creationists, we need our own to do experiments to test because the secular scientists don't always play well with with other scientists uh, giving us their data. And again, we're discovering red blood cells and soft tissue. They were shipped over to the University of Liverpool. I was just over the UK this summer speaking in London and Oxford. Um, Skip the rest of that story. But is there any evidence of man and dinosaur having lived together? Another crazy story, like, yeah, right. Uh, I actually have absolute proof that man and dinosaur have lived together. Now, <laughs> well, <coughs> that's kind of funny. That's not my evidence, that's not my proof. There's actually so much evidence that man and dinosaur have actually lived together at the same time. And the three-part series, are going into a lot of detail, I'm just scratching the surface here. There are cultural references, historical accounts and sightings, paintings, carvings, artifacts, and fossil footprints. <laughs> And what do, I'm summarizing right now, what do all these things have to do with each other, what do they have in common? Most of them are stories. Someone 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 500 years ago saw this and saw that. It's fascinating. It's a story. Does that mean it's not true because it's a story? No. Does it mean it's true because it's a story? No, it's just a story. But there are so many of these stories, and many of them are very credible scientists and other people wouldn't be making that up, taking chances of looking silly, so there's so much evidence that these, a lot of these stories are true. One was from the Congo region of Africa. The natives described creatures that they were seeing regularly in the deep Congo, where it's too dense to live, call it Membe <laughs> And when they described it, it's like a large sauropod dinosaur. The secular scientists are talking to them, saying, no, you couldn't have seen that. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know I didn't see that. <laughs> you know, that's because they weren't, they weren't propagandized into learning evolution, all that. They just, yeah, they believe that there must be a god, and they were seeing these creatures. You know, they didn't know that they weren't supposed to exist, but they were describing them that way. Uh, also, a mosasaur, we have fossils of this creature, 50 feet long. So here's a diver, but if I put the diver to scale, this would be the size of a mosasaur. <laughs> Now, it doesn't take much imagination to picture one of these real creatures coming up out of the ocean and capsizing a ship. And there are so many reports of ship captains saying, I don't know what happened, but some huge creature came up, you know, cut the ship in half, we lost half of our crew and all these things, and just, there are so many of these reports. Well, it makes sense. We know those creatures existed. We've got their fossils. So again, no problem of creatures like that existing in the not-too-distant past. Again, I mentioned the word dragon. You find that in the King James Bible 21 times, and I think most of those occurrences are talking about something we would use the word dinosaur for today. But dragons, I mean, dragons aren't real. I mean, it's fantasy stuff, right? Take a look at a dinosaur we've discovered called Dracorix. That's what Dracorix looked like. Basically identical to that dragon, except it didn't have wings. And did Dracoric have wings? And we don't have any evidence of that. Could you have seen something like Dracorex and then over time embellished it and put some wings on it or something like that? Oh, this is just a dragon, yeah. A lot of these things from different cultures are based on actual sightings of these creatures. And there are many biblical references as well, Job 40 is one of the most famous ones. Halfway through the chapter in verse 15 talks about behemoth that God made with Job and describes him this way, he moves his tail like a cedar tree, he's the chiefs of the ways of God, he drinks up a river and he draws up the Jordan into his mouth. Read that sometime for yourself. Job chapter 40, starting in 15, and ask yourself what's being described. I don't think you're going to think it's a butterfly or a caterpillar or a newt or anything else. The only thing it matches up with is something like a very large sauropod. It makes a lot of sense that that's what it would be. Now, probably even in your own Bibles, you have footnotes. And I think footnotes are great. They can be really helpful to understand the background of some passage or a word. But they are footnotes. They're not the inspired Word of God, but they can be helpful. But because they're not the inspired Word of God, it sometimes means that maybe it's not actually correct in whatever they're telling you. Here's an example why I personally think the footnote is incorrect with Job chapter 14, or chapter 40, verse 15, talking about behemoth. There's a footnote here, and you read at the bottom it says possibly the hippopotamus or an elephant. So when it says behemoth, they're saying no, it's not a dinosaur, it's a hippopotamus or an elephant. Why would, the, why would these commentators put that in the Bible? Because they're believing in the secular narrative that man and dinosaur didn't live together. So God cannot be talking to Job about a dinosaur. It's got to be something else. It's just a common animal. Like, well, does a hippo have the tail like a cedar tree? <laughs> no, it has a pretty small tail. Well, okay, maybe it wasn't a hippo and maybe it's an elephant because elephants are bigger than hippos. Now They're not quite that big. But elephants are bigger than hippos, but their tails really aren't any bigger. They're very small tails. (coughs) This would not be like a cedar tree. The only thing it matches up with is something like a large sauropod dinosaur. We all know the story of Job. God allowed him to go through a lot of trials in his life. And then towards the end, Job starts questioning God. And then God says, whoa, wait a minute, Job, where were you when I created, you know, stretched out the heavens? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? He says, consider behemoth. That I made with you. I don't think that God is saying, Job, I know you had a rough life, but look at the hippo. And then Job says, Oh, I feel better now. No, I think Job looks 40 feet up into the air to the head of this brachiosaur or something like that and says, I think I get your point, God. You're God. I'm not. I'm going to close my mouth and listen. That's what's going on in the book of Job. I think it's describing a dinosaur. We have paintings, carvings, and artifacts. This is Kachina Bridge, Natural Bridges, National Monument in Utah. This is what was painted. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, I'll, I'll highlight it and dark it in so you can see it better. This is what they painted in the rock. Looks very much like a sauropod dinosaur. The point is, this was painted long before we dug up any dinosaur bones. So how did they paint something like that if they'd never even seen a creature like that? It makes much more sense that in their history they saw something like that and they painted it. Havasupai Falls also in the Grand Canyon. This is what you will find there. I've outlined it so you can see it better. Very much like a dinosaur creature this was painted again long before we dug up any dinosaur bones then we have far north queensland here's just a depiction of a plesiosaur this is what the natives painted they called it Yaru, and they have natives going around the outside with spears trying to kill it because apparently it had eaten one of them so you have a picture of a native inside it this was painted long before we dug up any plesiosaur bones how did they know what to paint unless they had seen a creature like this and maybe that even cut and captured them, cut them open to know what they looked like on the inside? And we have back to the United States in Black Dragon Canyon, Utah. This is what it looks like. There are stripes on the side of the canyon that they call the, the dragons. This is what was painted. Looks just like a pterodactyl. This was painted long before we dug up any pterodactyl bones. So how did they know what to paint unless they had seen it within their history? The Indians often talked about the Thunderbird. It could be that the Thunderbird was a pterodactyl. They called it a Thunderbird until we invented the word pterodactyl after we dug up the bones later. And then Cambodia an Angkor Wat, a monastery. This is fascinating. This is what they carved into one of the pillars. It looks just like a stegosaurus. This was carved in 1186 A.D. This is long before we dug up, hundreds of years before we dug up any dinosaur bones. How do they know what to carve unless within their history they had seen something like that? So you're looking around today and you don't really see a dinosaur. I haven't seen any, so where did they go? Largely eliminated by the global flood. Most creatures drowned in the waters. Their bodies just decomposed. They're gone. There's no remnants of them at all. Some in local areas would get buried under sediments And then their bones can fossilize and those are the ones that we dig up today but the vast majority of people and other animals and dinosaurs would have drowned in the flood now i will answer one other question really quickly but i need to wrap up because we have a a short period of time here everyone wonders like what about like the ark and dinosaurs on the ark because they're all thinking like okay you couldn't have dinosaurs in the ark because they're massive and they you know they're not here today and all that very quickly looking at scripture always going back to what does it say not what your philosophy is or my philosophy, what does scripture say? Noah took two of each kind of animal. It doesn't say species, that's a modern word that scientists use today that they can't even define really. Two of each kind, and he didn't go out and find them. God brought them to him. Two of each kind. It doesn't say two of each kind except for dinosaurs. It says two of each kind, and God brought them to Noah. Dinosaurs are kinds of animals. In fact, there are probably anywhere from 50 to 70 major kinds of dinosaurs. But you can't fit a huge T-Rex on that ark. Why would you need to? The largest dinosaur egg we've ever discovered is about the size of a football. So even a huge T-Rex starts so out small, and you probably don't want a full-grown one on there. It comes off the ark, if you could fit, He comes off the ark, and you say, okay, procreate and have more baby dinosaurs. It's like, I'm too old for this. Then why did we have you on the ark? <laughs> It would make more sense that God would bring younger, healthy ones to the ark, and when they got off, they could have offspring. So there'd be no problem fitting two of each kind, and the average size of a dinosaur is about the size of a bison, or a little bit smaller. Some were as small as chickens. Some were large, but even the large ones start out small. So no problem whatsoever, and there's a lot of studies, technical studies done showing how there's no problem having two of each kind of animal on that ark. It's not a silly story unless you look at it as a bathtub-sized ark with giraffe head sticking and all that, that's a silly story, but that's not the biblical story. When you look at what the Bible says, it makes so much sense, more and more and more, and I'll throw in one other thing for free. Um, so the silly story of eight people coming off the ark, no one his wife, Joan of Arc, and then there are three sons and their wives. Um, they come off the ark and repopulate the earth, right? And then two of each kind of animal? That's just crazy. Yeah, like all the people today came from people coming off the ark not long ago, right? Guess what secular scientists are discovering? Genetic information telling us that not too long ago, almost everyone on the planet was wiped out and just a small group to survive to repopulate the earth because the genetic diversity isn't there. It hasn't spread out. It's really narrow. We're so closely related. So they say, okay, well, there were millions of people in evolution and all that, but they almost all died out recently, and then we started over again. That's what the Bible says. Animals. The same thing with animals. They think that all animals today came from a smaller population because all the other ones went extinct and then a small population repopulated the earth about the same time people did. Why does that sound so familiar? Oh yeah, the biblical narrative. So, scratching the surface, it's all about the authority of Scripture. Do you really... Go to scripture as the ultimate authority, or do you go somewhere else first? Well, there were vicious meteors millions of years ago and this and that, and then you go to God's word to tell God what he actually meant. It didn't mean six days because we know better now. Couldn't have been a worldwide flood. The secular jailists don't believe in that. Dinosaurs millions of years ago, all that, and then you reinterpret God's word to fit with your limited thinking. Or do you say, you know what, God, I might not understand all this. I don't even like it all. Honestly, I don't like it all. There's things in here that I wouldn't write that way. I would do b- differently so I can do whatever I want. But guess what? I didn't create the universe. God did. These are his rules and laws. He said this is the way to success is to know he created things. He loves us and, and all that. So is your ultimate source of authority really the Bible? I mean, if you're a Christian, you're going to say that. But in reality, do you play that out or do you pick and choose to whatever makes sense to you and compromise? Well, I, maybe God just did it this way. What did he actually say he did? (laughs) So, the resources we brought along, if you've heard it in the service or afterwards you'll hear this, so I don't want to spend too much time. We have tons of free stuff. You know, there's... 2228 streaming videos. I'm gonna make six more next week. We just keep adding more free videos. You can go to our website. There is a a sign out there with a QR code you can scan. (laughs) I gotta talk to my daughter. It's not working right now, but it just takes you to our website, so just go to our website and click on the button, free videos. You can watch all of our videos. The free podcast that I started 11 weeks ago, those are all available through the website. The free newsletter. You can sign up at the table or online. The newsletter and and, uh, question of the month and everything else, all that free stuff pocket-sized guide on the inspiration of the bible and then the books and blah 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 and all those other things so and i already talked about the grand canyon tour, so i'm not going to go through the the video right now the website the startingpointproject.com if you have additional questions you can contact us anytime again a lot of resources available but i would encourage you not just dinosaurs are not that important of a topic so I'm not here so that you know so many more details about dinosaurs. This was a training exercise that no matter what topic someone brings up, whether it's dinosaurs or anything else, you always say, hold on a second, let me see if the Bible has anything to say about that. If it doesn't, you're free to conclude what you want. But if it says something, that then is your starting point, your foundation, and everything else has to fit with that because that's what God chose to tell us so. With that, I will close in a quick word of prayer. I'll be in the lobby briefly before uh, the second service, but I appreciate you coming this morning. Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for this time we've had to look at. Just again, ultimately, the authority of Your Word help us to be diligent. I pray for everyone here today, and especially myself, that we would be in Your Word every day, looking for wisdom from you so that we can then in turn reach out to a lost and dying world with the only hope that exists, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> q and A. I've, I've been informed we have a few minutes for Q&A. About how many minutes? 10. 10. 10 minutes. I think we're going to try to pass a mic around. If not, you'll have to say your question. Real, oh, we do have a mic. We'll be be brief with your question. I'm going to be excruciatingly brief because otherwise I would take up nine minutes to answer the one minute question, and that would. So, ask whatever question you want quickly, and I will give you a brief answer. And again, you can always get a hold of us later if you want more information. So- Yeah, real quickly, DNA, we find DNA, can you recreate that life form? You'd have to kind of clone it. Um, You can't clone a dinosaur because the way you clone things is you find DNA. Like if you found DNA in a dinosaur bone, you'd have to take an an egg from a female living dinosaur, take out whatever DNA is in the middle of that, and put this new stuff you found in the ground in there. And then when the egg develops, it's reading the information off the the dead one you found. Well, we don't have an egg from a living dinosaur, but they're trying to clone a, a woolly mammoth. We don't have living woolly mammoths. No, but we have Indian elephants and African elephants. And they're the same kind of animal that can reproduce. So we had woolly mammoths, mastodons, Indian elephants, African elephants. So they have DNA from a woolly mammoth. They're trying to put it in an Indian elephant and develop something. No, it'll be a hybrid. I don't think they're going to be able to do it because it's so complex. But if they do it, it'd be pretty cool. And they'll claim it's proof of evolution. It's like, no, it's proof things reproduce after their kind. But, but yeah, they, they can only do it if they have a living egg from the, the match for the DNA. Can you carbon date the soft tissue that's been found now in the fossils. (coughs) Yeah. Carbon-14 in really, really quick with carbon-14 dating, most people say, well, the Bible's wrong and the earth is billions of years old. Carbon dating proves that. If anyone ever says anything like that, it proves one thing. That person doesn't know anything about carbon-14 dating. Carbon-14 dating cannot be used to date rocks. It cannot be used to date things Uh, that were not living. It can only be used to date things that were once living. So you can date bones and skin and stuff like that, but you can't date rocks. And you can't can't produce millions of years, hundreds of thousands, millions, billions of years with that method because it's like an ice cube that melts. Carbon-14 decays. If you could stand there for 80,000 years, it would be completely gone. So you're never going to use it to say, oh, this is 200,000 years old. This is a million years old. There wouldn't be any carbon-14 left. But you can use it to date things that are thousands of years old, And if you know all the factors, you could potentially do it accurately. The problem is they don't take all the factors into account. So sometimes they'll publish a carbon-14 date and they'll say 24,000 years, 32,000 years. Well, they're not taking all these factors into account, and when you do, those get adjusted, and it interesting it all comes down to closer to four and a half five thousand years ago which four and a half thousand years ago there was a worldwide flood that's when things were getting buried and so they're measuring the date back to when they died when they stopped eating which can't go into all the details of carbon 14 dating but i don't know i'm sure they probably some people probably tried to carbon 14 date the red blood cells and all that but the secular scientists wouldn't want to publish that data Because, again, they're thinking these tissues have been preserved for millions of years, so it can't have carbon-14 in it, so they won't even try. They're afraid to find that it might still be there. We're creationists, we would like to. That's why we're getting our own specimens to test. I have to talk to the scientists and say, hey, I know we're looking at these samples. Have you done C-14 dating on the samples? And and you can get a hold of me and see if I get an answer in the next few weeks or so. Great question. Okay, so going back when you were talking about behemoth. Um, I believe it's in Revelation, it talks about the Leviathan, where it talks about scales, hard scales that breathes fire. And I know that over a lot of cultures, dragons exist, you know, throughout history. And you were talking about how the Bible does the same thing about it's consistent, and it has um, all the background to it. So, Can you explain, if dragons don't exist, why does the Bible talk about the Leviathan and dragons are kind of multicultural? Sure, Sure. actually even in Job, chapter 40 verse 15 was behemoth. The next chapter 41, right at the beginning, talks about Leviathan. And as it's describing it, it's describing it very straightforward. It doesn't sound like this mythical creature. It's describing a real creature. And, and lots and lots of details, so go, you know, and read it sometime, Job chapter 41, Leviathan, and it does reference fire breathing and in Revelation, and it's not a stretch. You know, we've got bombardier beetle today that can combine hydroquinone and um, and one other element, and have these blasts up. There's a lot of detail where it can combine, and then you've got fireflies, and you've got other things that can produce things that are fire-like, and some dinosaurs, even secular scientists, wonder. It looks like they got these two pipes coming up. It could be that two different gases could come up and combine, and it could actually shoot fire out of its mouth, things like that. That is not a stretch at all. We don't know, because we're looking at bones in the past, so you can't know some of those details. But it makes a lot of sense, in the Bible, It's not talking about it as poetry, it's talking about a historical narrative. So we believe that there were creatures, reptile-like creatures that initially they used the word dragon, we would use the word dinosaur for a lot of those. There were real creatures who had these mechanisms and some of them might have been able to do something like fire breathing. And then there's a lot of symbolism also in the book of Revelation, so sometimes you have to look at the context. Sometimes it's very, very symbolic and it means other things, and other times, no, it means exactly what it's saying. And we always get that by the context. So there's a lot more to it than that, but you can contact me anytime, and I can give you links to other articles that talk about Leviathan. What what do you think about what they're finding out with the James Webb Telescope? James Webb Telescope, uh, really briefly. So we have the Hubble Telescope for you know, many years, bringing us beautiful pictures of the universe, and they always fit the results into a narrative of a Big Bang and all that, which I give lectures on the Big Bang, um, which I don't think is a scientific, uh, scientifically valid model for many, many reasons, and I don't think it fits in with scripture either, but the James Webb is a newer one. You know, uses infrared, and they're able to see further out in the universe. Now, in a secular scenario, you have this Big Bang kind of expanding out. So if they're seeing out closer to the edge, that would be closer back to the beginning, because when it first started, billions of years ago, that's being pushed out to the edge. So if they're seeing the edge, they think they're seeing back closer to the beginning of the the universe. (coughs) Well, what's stunning them is, according to their theories, it would take six to eight billion years to form mature galaxies. Maybe after 500 million years, you get some stars forming. They call them population one or three stars. And, and then eventually, billions of years later, you get mature galaxies. They are seeing out to the edge, which in their narrative, they're seeing about three to 500 million years after the Big Bang actually happened, when you maybe should see some stars or whatever. That's it. They're seeing fully mature galaxies. And they literally say they shouldn't be there, they can't be there. But they're not going to say, "Oh, and maybe the Big Bang model's wrong." They will not say that. They'll say, "Oh, I guess galaxies can form faster now that, we just like soft tissue, I guess it can be preserved for millions of years." We would have never thought that, but it must have, because they won't question the framework. They they won't change their starting point. They just won't, no matter what. So now we know. You know, soft tissue can be preserved for millions of years, and now we know galaxies blowing us away, but I guess they can form in a few hundred million years. That's fascinating. Physics don't work behind it, but that doesn't matter. Don't let science get in the way. They're the ones controlling the narrative, so we're just wowed by the pictures. And they're showing us some really beautiful pictures, really cool. But it's not a shock to creationists that God created the universe fully functional, fully formed for life to be possible. So the James Webb, they will continue to find things that are surprising to them, and they will continue to spin it, why it's not really a problem, they call it a rescuing device. So but, so yeah, just keep your eyes open, read the articles, and what do they really know versus probably could have, possibly might have, a lot of fuzzy, fuzzy language there. So we Done, oh we got one more. Uh, you said that you believe the Bible is the word of God. I always understood that Jesus is the word of God, and the Bible is a witness to Jesus, the Word of God. Well, yeah, there's different ways that we can look at this. Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the John 1, you know, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and Word was with God. So Jesus is the Word is the Word, and we have the written word. So Jesus was here physically for a while, and now he's gone, and we have the written word, which is actually, we're told in scripture, this is even a more sure witness than even things that were going on in the past, because we have God's completed word. So I would not try to split the two so much. Jesus is the living word. He he embodied uh, the word itself in physical human form, and now he's not here physically with us, but we have his word, and we have a completed word. We don't need extra, but a lot of people are... Are, they'll see, you know, oh, I see Jesus in this tree. It looks like Jesus' face and all these things. And, and they get so excited about that or they think the Virgin Mary spoke to me and gave me this message. You can't, I'll, I'll end with this, you cannot disprove. If someone says last week the Virgin Mary appeared to that person and they said A, B, and C, you can't disprove that. Because it was last week. You weren't even there. You can doubt it, but you can't disprove it. Now, they can't prove it either. <laughs> but here's the interesting thing is. Um, what did the Virgin Mary tell you? Because if it goes against the written word that wasn't from God at all and if it's something extra that's not from God either because God says we have everything we need. He says do not add to this do not take away so you might be impressed that you thought you heard some message, but if all it does is repeat something in here, you didn't need it. It says it here, and God says his word is true. And if it's something extra, that's really dangerous. And so people are all into these, these messages and signs. Um, and one other analogy, and I'll close in prayer. If it were announced that next week, Wednesday at noon, in Central Park in New York, An angel from heaven was going to come down and share God's will for humanity. That the angel, you would see the angel and everyone would be able to hear. Can you imagine how many people would flock to Times Square, New York? They want to hear this. This is is just going to be amazing. We have God's word right here. How is this any different? But, oh, that's just the Bible. You, know, you put it on the shelf. Oh, it's Sunday morning. Where did I put my Bible? You know, grab it and you know, go to church and and I'm I'm making fun of myself too because I read this but not nearly as much and I do more reading than studying and God's convicting me of that too. It's like, "That's great that you read, but what about the the studying and going deeper? God will reveal more if you're serious about it." So, we take the Bible so lightly. Well, yeah, it's the Bible. But if there was a message from an angel, which that's what Mormonism is all about, the angel Moroni gave Joseph Smith a message in the woods and started a new church and all that. And the Galatians says, even if they, Paul and others, or an angel from heaven gives you another, another gospel, let him be accursed. That's what Mormonism is. It's another testament to Jesus Christ, right on the cover. Another testament to Jesus Christ from an angel from heaven. So anyway, yeah, Jesus Christ, but we wouldn't know much about Jesus if it weren't for the written word. So the written word tells us about the real person of jesus christ so we don't really worship scripture we worship jesus but we learn about jesus through scripture so i will close in a word of prayer great great questions and again if you want to have uh, see me afterwards i'll be in the lobby for a little bit before the second service dearly father just thank you so much for this time that you've given to us again just to strengthen our faith and again better position us to share the gospel with those around us we pray all these things in jesus name amen